0: What we've got here is failure to
1: communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality.
2: Today's guest is Melissa Halusim? She's a board-certified nurse practitioner and the founder of the Celebrity Facial Spa Skin Thesis in West Hollywood. She is a maven of skincare and aesthetic medicine, developing and operating top skincare organizations, including Kate Somerville, and later branching out to create her own brand, Bonding the Worlds of Art and Science. She's a mom, she's a nurse practitioner, she's a leader in her field. She's been featured in Allure, Refinery29, and Kim Kardashian stories. She is stunning, razor sharp, and so grounded, and we are very, very excited to have her here with us today. So without further ado, let's dig in. Welcome, Melissa, to
1: um, our podcast. Thank you.
0: Such a nice intro. Thank you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So happy to have you here today. We've been so honored. You were at some of our earliest events, and it's just been so neat to Know you for several years now, and see your business taking off and get to know your family and everything. So this is just such a treat to dive into your story and starting from the beginning, beginning. So thank you for being here.
0: No, I appreciate it. And I think what you guys are doing are wonderful. And so it's um actually an honor for me to be involved and you know give back to the community. and you know we're all here for each other, and we need to do what we need to, you know, You to help each other inspire us. Thank you.
2: The purpose of this particular podcast, when we were kind of developing the idea around our show, was not just to bring in women that really inspired us, but to kind of start from the beginning, like Asha said. And one of the things that we're really interested in sharing with our listeners are the formative experiences. So for a lot of people, you know, we like to start back in in childhood and talk about, you know, what makes Melissa, the maven that you are, like, how did you become the person and the leader you are? So, take us back, like, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, 13 year old Melissa, what were you like?
0: Well, I think uh, if I asked, you know, people, you know, what are, what, are, what would really shock you of, you know, who knows me and who doesn't know me? And there's a lot of things in my past that I think people would be surprised about. So, You know, I grew up in L.A. I'm born and raised. I have an older sister and a younger brother. And so I'm the middle. And uh, I didn't grow up in a great household. And one of the reasons was I had um, an abusive, verbally abusive father. And I had an autistic, mentally retarded brother. And, you know, it was not your conventional family. And uh, learning how to navigate through that family, and also, you know, when I go way back then, you know I, I pro- at thirteen years old, I was a confused, sad, and frustrated child. you know, you know, looking at life was is this what life is really about? How, where am I gonna where am I gonna be? Where am I gonna go to? You know, you're a teenager having hormonal changes and then struggling even with friendships. And I think being a girl is difficult because you have that, uh, you know, sometimes when you're involved with certain friendships that, you know, you don't know who to trust. You're trying to fit in and how do I look and am I awkward? So you, I struggled with that, but then on top of it, I really didn't have the family support that I needed. Um, my mother is an amazing woman, but she was trapped. She was trapped in a marriage, and, and I can clearly see this more now, but she was trapped in an abusive marriage and struggling to have three, help three children, and then on top of it, having a son who is autistic, mentally retarded, who we... Um, you know, there were times where uh, we'd have to protect ourselves from him or, and, and, and help him in, in different ways. So I learned at a very young age that I was the only person that I can rely on. And I promised myself in my head that no matter what happens in my life, I need to be able to fall back on myself and protect myself. And it didn't matter. You know, I, I, of course, as a young girl wanted to get married, have a great husband, have a family that I didn't have. But I knew that I didn't want to ever rely on anyone else because I saw how that affected our family. And I saw the fear in my mom's eyes because she didn't have Anyone to fall back on and here had to be trapped in a, in a marriage because she thought that was the only way that she was going to be able to protect her three children.
1: Just curious, like the age gap between um, you and your siblings.
0: So my sister's three years older and my brother is three years younger. Um, so I think that I powered through um, at a very young age and it was survival mode it was warrior mode. Like if, if I'm going to make it in this in this life or this world, like I got to just rely on myself and keep going. And I think that the verbal abuse that I received from my father, it, it motivated me. You know, he said on many, many occasion, occasions that I was, I was stupid, that I was useless, you know, it really putting me down. And Um, some, you know, any child that age is going to believe that of themselves. So I was insecure, but at the same time, I knew that I could go down two different paths. You know, you can go into a path of pity and sadness and depression, drugs, or you're going to go to the path that you're like, I'm going to get away from here and I'm going to make something of myself. And that's the path I chose. And it, it wasn't like, oh, shining light, you know, tunnel, like, oh, I'm going to go down that one. You know, there was definitely struggles to, to get through um, that path. And uh, I hit many obstacles in my life. And the one thing that I knew I had to always do was rely on myself and my gut. And so when I came across certain decisions, and there were many decisions that I had to make. I just dug deep down and said, you know what? This is what feels right or wrong, and this is the the path that I'm going to choose.
1: What was school like for you early on, and did that did that change from like elementary early on to you yeah. know your later years? What was like?
0: So what what was really interesting is that at a, at a young age, uh, my father inherited inherited his father's business who passed away, and he had a lot of money. And we uh, went to a private school at a young age. I started, you know, kindergarten and I went through and about, you know, more like sixth, seventh grade when finances got, got you know, really harsh. Uh, there was a time that, you know, maybe like my mom couldn't pay the tuition and she fought for me to stay there, which I don't know if it was the greatest decision because. I continued to grow up in a school where there was a lot of wealth. It was, you know, the, you know, the center of entertainment world of, you know, who's who. And luckily we wore uniforms, so I didn't have to feel like I could fit in, but I started working at 14 years old. And if I needed clothes or anything, it was my money. So we, you know, we slowly you know, lost our money and I had to kind of fight for everything to have. But I don't regret that at all because what I experienced with the loss of money, I learned the value of money. And I think if that didn't happen to me and I, you know, grew up in this privileged school and environment, where where would I have learned it otherwise? So I Saw that like early high school, I really didn't want to be where I was at, but again, my mom wasn't really there for me to like discuss that and make decisions. She was just in a different place, mm-hmm. uh, so I felt trapped and uh, I was stuck at the school. But I, I, I did the best I could. I was athletic and I uh, kind of just focused on. You know, the good qualities and the sportsmanship and being involved in the school, um, but I started seeing my friendships you know get smaller and smaller of you know who I would who I would hang around or be with because there was times too, it was a very small small school, and there was times where it, it was very clicky, and uh, people kids can be mean, and some kids were mean to me.
2: Well, I can imagine too, you were going through all of these things at home and you were, like you said, constantly trying to depend on yourself. So I imagine that your mindset at that time sort of naturally set you apart. Did you feel like some of your friendships, like as you described some of these groups getting smaller and smaller, it was because you felt like you couldn't relate on certain levels?
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, they had no idea what was going on in our household. Um, and there were sometimes kids that made fun of my brother. Um, I mean, if you think about this, you know, this is over 20, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, you know, where autism wasn't really, you know, discussed or mental illnesses or, you know, the mentally challenged. So I, I stood up for him and I really didn't care. But it was, it was some of that. And, uh, because I also became more to myself and I was like, you know what, I'm on a, I felt like I was on a different level than these people. And it wasn't that I was on a higher level. I actually felt that I was on a lower level, you know, mm-hmm. because I didn't have the money, you know, my friends turned 16 and they cried because they didn't get a, their BMW and they got an Acura. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not getting a car. <laughs> you know? So it, it was just the reality of you know, what money, you know, brings to to these families. But again, it was never that I wanted to be like them or have their money. It was just I was very different than them. Right. It's kind of like
2: the precedence that set. It's mm-hmm. really it's this is really fascinating to me because my I didn't, I wasn't born in LA, but my dad is LA born and raised. His dad was in the film business and it was a, sort of a similar trajectory where we started out doing really well and then kind of toward high school, like that's when money problems started happening. It also kind of lined up with the recession and everything. And I remember so distinctly being at that pivotal time, having this dysfunction at home and money not being like a driving force, but really affecting the way that you thought about yourself because it wasn't necessarily like, well, I need money or I need this car, but it was like, well, this is so different. Like the experience I'm having for my peers is so different and you're still trying to kind of keep up these airs because you see the, you know, your parents doing that, like you're trying to like keep the happy family, you know, facade up, I guess. So in a way I can Obviously, like your experience is yours, but I can relate to that. I'm sure my sister could can relate to that too. Um, yeah, you know, I, I can look back now and say, you know what you you
0: know when you when you learn certain things about your life, everyone has a relationship with money.
2: Mm-hmm. right
0: it's 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 very different. And what what happened to me at starting at that young age, and even to this day, um, of course, I like nice things. Of course, you know, I don't want to stress about money. Of course, I want to be able to provide my children. But I don't look at things. I don't look at goals because I want to say, "Oh, I want to make a lot of money. It, 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 it didn't that doesn't phase me. And I, I remember once I was like in a therapy session. And I said, you know, the money doesn't matter. And she says, you know, you shouldn't say that cuz it should matter because it actually rewards you. It rewards you for all your hard work. And she says, "I understand what you're saying, but you should be able to accept the money as well and be proud of it." So, I again, it just shows how all of us have such different relationships with money.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm so curious, so you i i know you i met you through your husband brian Um uh, i worked mm-hmm. at so brian is a director at a wealth management firm a very big one and he's incredibly just smart dynamic um successful person um but he's so he's so friendly too and warm and kind mm-hmm. and your relationship is beautiful you've been blessed with four children um what was it like coming from the experience of having a really abusive father and then seeing men in your life. And then it's also interesting because Brian's job is managing money. So it's sort of like this yeah. combination of things that were kind of tensions, I guess, earlier in your life, but you've been able to kind of like find the, the equal, equal opposite in a way and in, in positivity. How is-
0: Yeah, Brian is an extremely positive person. And when we met at a very young age, And he probably was one of those people that I'm very lucky that came into my life because he showed me how to actually love myself. You know, he showed the good qualities of myself and I never saw them. Um, So he was, he was a man on top of it and telling me, you know, you're this, you're that. And it, it was all positive. And of course, when you're insecure and you don't believe those things, in the beginning you know you you can't accept it but as the years went on I think that's what helped me and I, I think that's what helped me turn around and I think I was just lucky like I it was just kind of chance of you know I, I fell into it and what I mean fell into it is that you know he was he met my sister in college so they're the same age and he would just call, like, my sister, you know, came home a lot, and she, he would call, and I, and I would pick up, and I would just talk to him, so I didn't even know what he looked like, and we kind of, like, started this friendship over the phone, and, uh, the, a funny story about him is that, you know, he, uh, I think I would just randomly talk to him over the phone for six months to a year, so I was very, very young, and my neighbor was having a party, and he's walking up my driveway thinking that's where the party is, and I was shocked, I said, we I know you. And in my mind, I thought he was this like white Santa Barbara surfer dude. It's <laughs> he's, he's the total opposite. He's actually Persian. And I was like, shocked. Like that's who it was because you have like a vision in your head uh, of what it is. And, um, and then he had moved back to, uh, he transferred to UCLA. And so, and so my sister transferred from um, UC Santa Barbara to USC. So then I started seeing him more often and uh we had a friendship for a year, and then uh, I started dating my senior year of high school. Wow, yeah. Um, but what's interesting about that, too, is there was a challenge with our relationship because he is from a different culture, and he's first generation. And you know, looking back, it was I can't believe like we even went through, but when we were going through it, it was difficult. Uh, we were probably one of the first to uh, marry. Outside of the culture, and a lot of people, even his friend, would say like, "Okay, well, when are you guys breaking up? Because that's not going to work." Because <laughs> because Persians marry Persians, just like other cultures right. marry other cultures, and I didn't understand that, and you know there were some difficulties. So we were together for seven years before we married. Um, but I, you know, I think the key to our relationship is that we compromise and we have discussions and there's trust and both of us have to be willing to do that in order to succeed but completely opposite of what i saw growing up with with my parents and i i look at the situation and i'm like i don't know how that happened i don't know if like we if i hadn't met him i don't know if if i'd be married now who knows
1: <laughs> it's, it's just such a, a great story and testament yeah <laughs> What about, so, so your sister is about three years older than you. I have a sister that's two years older than me. And when people, because she is also very good friends with my sister. And when people ask me about my relationship with my sister, it's like such a big question for me because it's like, there's no one in the world that I'm closer with. I also have never fought with anyone like I've fought with my sister. You know, it's just such a deep, connected, just crazy relationship. Did you, were you close with your sister? Um,
0: Unfortunately, No. And, you know, I think both of us would look back and if, you know, we, we could have an open discussion. And I understand why we didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. My sister was the oldest. She took the brunt of it. She took, in terms of what happened with, with my mom and father, and my mother, in a way, took my sister as more of a friendship than a daughter. Mm-hmm. And my sister had to hear everything everything that my mom was going through. And I think it brought anger to her and resentment. And all I wanted was to have a friendship with her. And I kept trying and I kept trying and she would put me down and she would say nasty things to me. And and, and to this day, I don't think she remembers, you know, a lot of it. And I think that was her coping mechanism of what, you know, handling everything. So there was a period of time where I kept trying and kept trying and finally I was like, I'm done trying. I like, I kind of like pushed her away and I went through college and didn't, wasn't really close until we started having children. And uh, I think that now we have a good relationship and I know that um, she would do anything for me and I would do anything for her. And when I really do need to talk to someone, she's like the most amazingly, you know, greatest listener. She's actually an MFT. Um, so she, she, she works, um, she, she's been doing crisis intervention for, I mean, way too long. I tell her she needs to leave it. It's been like, you know, 30 years that she's been in it or 25 years, but she, she's a great person. She has good morals and values and we would be ready for one another till the end, but we didn't have that crazy sister bond and the arguments we had were they're actually funny they're like funny stories to tell like like I got stitches you know or
2: like things like things like that (laughs) you guys were just both in survival mode yeah just you know like parallel parallel survivor mode and so exactly it's it's nice now that you both it's funny in a way that you both are in fields that respectively deal with helping people and nurturing people and being there to understand needs in like a deep and connected way. And so now you can be there for each other in that way.
1: That's such an interesting point. Like whether you're in you know, a therapist or what you do, Melissa, like you, you help women feel their best and their most beautiful and you have a gentle touch and you're knowledgeable and you inspire so much trust that it's like, Two kind of different forms of a similar thing is helping people feel good.
0: Yeah, I mean, I started my nursing career actually in the ICU at Children's Hospital. And that was an incredible experience. And sometimes I I wish I could still be in that environment, but it's just not feasible for the amount of children I have and the, and the schedule. And, but I, I had, I have such great memories. There's, there's so many things that I learned from it, but I think in the field, I know, you know, everyone could look at aesthetic, you know, medicine, dermatology in, in a different way. But the reason I keep going and what I'm doing is because I have these incredible relationships with my patients. And they become friends. I mean, I might not hang out with them, you know, outside of the clinic, but like we know each other and I know their lives. And I've had these moments with them where they just, they tell me things and they break down and they cry or they tell me happy moments. And, you know, what this reoccurring theme keeps happening. Um, Some of the treatments that I do are painful, 100%. And, you know, I, I feel terrible that I'm inflicting pain on them. I, you know, and some people joke around, like, you like giving pain to other people. I really don't. I feel terrible, you know, when they're, they're in pain. But so many times when they're getting this treatment, they all of a sudden just start hysterical crying. Like, it just all comes out. And it's almost like when you've ever gotten, like, you know, Reiki or some type of body work. Where they're over an area and you don't you have no idea why you're crying. It's kind of like the similar, you know, concept. They're not crying because I'm inflicting pain on them. They are crying because it just releases something in them. And they they're like, they even say, like, I don't know why I'm crying. You know, I'm like, it's okay, you know? And we have to stop and we talk about it. <laughs>
2: It's wild because it's actually a very vulnerable position to be in. I mean, even when it's your face, that's for everyone, that's your face is the first thing anybody else sees. So in a way, I think it's almost, you know, more vulnerable than other things. Like you go get a massage, you go in, you're in the room by yourself, that's it. But when you have a facial, it's like, this is, you know, my resume. When I go and meet somebody else, this is what everyone else is seeing. So in in so many ways, it's you have people at their most vulnerable points, no makeup, like, no nothing. It's like, we're going to take it back down to the bare basics here.
0: No, and your face tells the story of -hmm. of you. I mean, it's really of, you know, did you have like, let's just look at something basic, like sun damage, like, where was that sun damage from? Why did you have that sun damage? You know, it, it could be from a positive or a negative history so
2: the face really does tell a story and now a quick note from our sponsors this past year has been a tough one for so many reasons large and small i can't tell you how much i miss some of those small simple joys like the occasional spa day massages facials you name it Thankfully, skin guru and magician Melissa Halusim has done it again. She's worked her skin thesis magic and developed the Golden Cocktail Facial, which is a state-of-the-art microneedling system designed to effectively deliver only the highest quality and most effective hydrating, anti-aging, and toning ingredients your skin could ever ask for, all from the comfort of your own home. The kit is amazing. It comes complete with a microneedling device and not just one or two or three, but eight stem cell cocktail serums. That's eight sessions per kit. The system is basically everything you could ask for. The microneedling device helps manually stimulate collagen, diminish fine lines, improve texture, and provide more effective delivery of active serum ingredients. The stem cell cocktail which is the serum is this divine anti-aging hydrating toning plant-based formula containing ginseng green tea lotus and a super unique combination of 19 korean herbal ingredients which soothe and moisturize the skin while also boosting elasticity Evening out your skin tone and texture and killing off bacteria known to cause acne. It's basically everything you need to slough off the absolute wreckage that has been this past year and restore your face back to its formative, youthful, glowing self. So why let Kim K have all the skin benefits of Skin Thesis? You can have them too. If you head over to skinthesisinc.com forward slash GCF now, you can purchase your kit using our exclusive code BRIDGET20 and take home the golden cocktail facial for 20% off. Again, all you need to do is head over to skinthesisinc.com forward slash GCF and enter code BRIDGET20. You will not be disappointed. It's like reserving a session with
1: Melissa herself. And now back to the show. When you were young, I in periods of life, I know so many of our girls at our events talk about um, struggling with acne. Did you ever have like what were what was your skin like when you were younger? Did it change over time?
0: So I'm gonna tell. I mean, I was very blessed with my skin. I did not have troubled skin. I didn't have, you know, I maybe had like, you know, a pimple here or there, but I was really lucky to have good skin. But that doesn't make me, sim- you know, not sympathetic for those who don't. And um, being in this field for 16 years, I see what it can do to, you know, these teenagers and even young adults where they have never had, you know, acne. I have a um, almost 30 year old where it just, flared everywhere. I mean, it, it just came out of nowhere and went through the emotional roller coaster of dealing with it and the emotions of it. So, you know, when I look back when I was younger, I mean, I never thought I'd be in the field that I'm in, never in my wildest dreams. I didn't even want to go into nursing. I just, it didn't even cross my mind. My first degree is in animal science. And I was, um, I had like a mid-20s, you know, crisis of like, what am I going to do with my life? Because everything that I planned wasn't working out. Every door just shut, shut, shut. And I fell into nursing and it just happened. It just, the doors just kept opening and opening. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to keep going. And, And then lastly, with aesthetic medicine, same thing. I fell into it. It just happened.
2: I was actually, I wanted to ask because I was so curious when you said you started working at a really young age, I was wondering what your first job was.
0: So my first job was in a pharmacy, not because I was trying to get into the medical. (laughs) (laughs) There's a theme building here. (laughs) No, there wasn't. Um, My mom, you know, was trying to make, you know, just make some money. And she, so my sister's friend mother owned a pharmacy. And my mom was working there and and doing billing just to, you know, just to make something. And they needed a a cashier on Saturdays. And I was like, I'm there, I'll work. (laughs) Um, So I worked there through college, I mean, until, um, excuse me, high school. Um, And in high school, I, you know, was the nanny babysitter for many kids. And then when I got into college, I, I, you know, I, I really liked working with people and in somewhat of the health and I actually became a massage therapist and oh. I, uh, you know, that's how I, you know, got through the beginnings of college. And then when I transferred to UC Davis for animal science and I was working at veterinary hospitals. So that's kind of like my track record. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Can you expand a little bit? What was your goal when you were getting your degree in animal sciences? Like, what did you think you were going to be?
0: Oh, I thought I was going to be a veterinarian. I loved working with animals. And uh, when I was younger, we had a dog. We had a boxer. And I actually wrote my college essay about him because this dog, it was based on animal-assisted therapy. This dog could read you like no one. And just, your, you know, when I was going through just such an emotional time in high school with my family situation and my brother, one of the things that I wrote was that he was like a that loyal soldier. He knew something was wrong with my brother. And um, unfortunately, my brother, would because he couldn't speak like us and express his emotions like us. He would, ha- he would attack us and his attacks, if you can imagine, were just out of like just pure frustration and adrenaline and they were physical of pulling my hair or biting me. And it was such a strong force uh, to the point where we would have to hold him down to get him through it or one time I had to lock myself in the bathroom from him. And he was in one of those rages and he attacked the dog. And this is a boxer. A pretty, it, was an eight, it was an 80 pound boxer. And he tagged a dog and he bit the dog. Um, and the dog did nothing. He just, he just like, you know, flinched and looked at him and he let it go. And I, that was the first time I saw the power of animals. And I was like, you know what? I, I want to go into that. I, I want to be involved with animals. And so that was my goal. And in, at UC Davis, I did a lot of programs. Um, with animal therapy, And actually, when I graduated UC Davis, I did an internship in upper state New York, a place called Green Chimneys, they're still around. And it's for uh, it's a residential treatment center for inner city kids. And they live there. And uh, w- they had a wildlife rehabilitation center. They had a farm and an equine facility. Wow. And I was I was a farm intern. So I had uh, 30 kids a week and there, we had chores and we'd be one-on-one and we'd go do the chores. And they would have to learn to trust animals. And once they saw the relationship with the animals, they were able to open up to humans and have that trust and open up to them because they they come from severe, severe abused uh, families, um, and, you know, maybe mother was prostitution, father was in jail, and so forth. You know, it was very powerful to, to be around these animals and to, you know, know that you had to feed and take care of them. And then of course, you know, wildlife rehabilitation and releasing them back in the wild. And of course, an equine, facility because the horses are just so they're so honest and, uh, you know, you could, they can read people pretty, pretty well. So that's how that evolved.
1: <laughs> Where did you go from there?
0: So, you know, I had a lot of um, small and large animal experience and I was applying to veterinarian schools. And um, I even had like such strong relationships with some of the professors that they were even on the board of um, admissions and wrote my recommendation and I, I couldn't get in and I, I applied two to- two years in a row and when I got that second declining or you know not a, not I'm not admitted to the veterinarian program, I really had a hard time I was like what am I gonna do what am, you know and and the problem with veterinarian schools is that they have like this witchy states that all sounds stands for certain states and if you don't get into one you know one you're not going to get into any. So it's just a really difficult program to get into. And it's um, actually so many women go to veterinarian school over men. So it was, you know, harder as a woman to get into that school. So I, you know, I was like, okay, well, I could try one more year. What am I going to do? And at the time, I think I was, you know, experimenting, you know, what else can I, what other aspects can I do in medicine and I, I was working at a physical therapy place, trying to see if, you know, that sparked any interest. And I met a nurse and I just saw what she was doing with the patient. I, it kind of just woke me up and I was like, what what about nursing? I love taking care of people and I love children. And, you know, through this animal assisted therapy program, And my goal actually when I went into nursing was to work with children.
1: So when you started nursing school, so you and Keish actually are alumni of the same school.
2: Yeah. Oh, UC Davis. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. No, I went to um I went to Mount Saint Mary's for my nursing degree. Also, yeah.
0: Oh, you did. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, I was the how I chose Mount Saint Mary's College is that I, you know, I had a bachelors. Mm -hmm. and they were one of the only ones that had an accelerated bachelor's program.
2: And it's an intense program. Like I I did the traditional because I went for undergrad. And when I was in the nursing program, we would go to the Doheny campus and we would see the accelerated students. And we were just like, oh my gosh. And some of them would be like, you know, bags under their eyes. Like, this is my third day in a row. I've been sleeping in this hallway. I haven't taken a break. And they're like, you know, the 15 finals or whatever, they had just were doing it all in like a week. And it was just it was really intense. So I mean, that's a tough program.
0: I work really well under pressure. Um, I think I do my better work in it, you know, and I mean that that's it's a good quality and a bad quality because I tend to in my life just keep adding more things mm-hmm. because I like I get more things done. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so I
2: I was gonna say we don't know what that's I'm like. like. Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding.
1: I'm totally kidding. <laughs> when you were in nursing school what stage were you at with your relationship with Brian? Had you guys gotten married? Yeah. So
0: what's really interesting is I started the nursing program. I think Brian and I just got married. Okay. Yeah. And I, you know, I had a lot of connections in the animal world. <laughs> and I, like, I was one week in and I get a phone call from the dean at Western University. Pomona, Pomona. And they said, listen, we are opening up a veterinarian school. Apply. You'll get in. I was like, are you serious? Oh my gosh. I had made this, you know, crazy decision and I did, you know, um, nursing and I was like, and now they're asking me, I'm like the first weekend and I had to make a really big decision. I'm like, okay, I, am I going to stay in nursing or am I going to go now to veterinarian school? And I just dug deep down and I said, I committed, I'm ready for this. And again, when everything I was doing with applying to nursing, you know, getting, you know, I had to get all this information and and get this class done and everything was just falling into place. And I just felt that that's the way I, I needed to go. So I chose nursing and I don't regret it.
2: I hear a lot of your childhood experiences and your experiences growing up and even your relationship with your sister. And um, this isn't my personal experience, but my mom is, you know, the third of eight kids and she came from a very abusive, dysfunctional family. And it's so interesting because in a lot of ways, your relationship with your older sister reminds me of her relationship with her older sister, where The oldest daughter was the one that was like just trying to power through, totally in survival mode, totally trying to make it. And so they like all kind of splintered out of the same household as they grew up and sort of like left each other to their own individual paths. But now as adults, they can like come together and be supportive in this very different way.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think, um, you know, uh, I mean, when I was younger, I learned at a very young age that you, you really had to kind of watch out for people, for certain people, and you really had to try to read them and, and understand. And I, I didn't have, I wasn't that, you know, girl that had 20 friends and had to be popular and, you know, I didn't fall into that trap. I'd rather like stay my distance and, you know, be quiet. You know, like I was inside my head, right all the time. Like you know, you're talking about, and I, I, I learned how to protect myself at a young age, and um, I thought I, I had that quality, but as I became a business owner, it really hit me hard um, because I wanted to create this really great culture and environment, and by by ex- like being so open and exposed it actually it backfired on me and i the past few years had to learn like step back and it's it's not about like i'm not talking about you have to be rude a, a bitch or like you know any of that but i was like no i need to i need to first show I am in complete control. And I know what everything is going on. So don't take advantage. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, at some point, I was like, do I have something on my forehead that says, please take a shit on me? (laughs) You know, I was like, what is going on? And I really had to learn. I really had to change. And this past two years, I've changed a lot. And I'm still learning and trying to figure that out. And I feel like, And I don't mean this in in an egotistical way. And it's taken me a long time to actually say this. But I have learned that as you become more successful, people do not want that for you. They're jealous. They don't, you you know, I could sit there and argue to them in the face of like, listen, I work 70 hours a week. I, you know, when the, when the pipe busts, I have to be there scrubbing the toilet on the floor. I go in on a Sunday to meet the painter. I, you know, like the people don't know that's what you're doing in the background. It is not glorious. It is not like, you know, oh yeah, everyone's like, oh, you could take off whenever you want. No, I can't. It's actually the opposite. Right. Like every time I take off, that could hinder the business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. so instead people just look at you and go oh look at the life she's living i'm like what life am i living
1: when i feel what like is- social media has i mean it's done wonders for businesses and that i mean like seeing your profile it's like wow kim kardashian has gone to skin thesis like that's wonderful promotion and discovery mm-hmm. of businesses but it also i think can be really deceiving especially for our young girls because they they grew up with this, you know, social media yeah. and everyone connected this way and presenting a profile of yourself is, is just something that they have never lived without. So I think it can be really difficult because people draw assumptions based on what you're posting. And I, I personally struggle with that. It's like, oh, well, I only really want to post the things that are exciting about my life when I'm on this or a trip or something great's happened, but you don't realize always that, okay. Does the fact that I want, you know, to share my happiest moments make it look like I only have happy moments, you know, and how could that actually be damaging to someone else? So it's like, it's a double-edged sword in a way. It's like, how do you do it right, especially as a business? How do you do it right without creating too much of a facade?
0: Right. And I try. so on my business Instagram, I try to show real things. And um, it's not. It's about procedures. About it's, it's about what we're doing. It's yes. I'm I'm very blessed with some of the clients that I've had, and and I'm willing to share it. But I don't. I kind of pride myself because I don't like show like oh, let's get all the nurses and start dancing. I'm like, who the hell has time for that? I want to really come up with these ideas. You
1: know, you not need to be on TikTok. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> right. Um. And then, you know, actually Brian and I, we run our social media and he's always like texting me in a day. He's like, Why am I you have to get me material? We have to show this, we have to show that I'm like, Okay, okay, I know, I know. And it's uh, it's actually really difficult for me. And because I'm launching also a product line and I'm trying to integrate all these businesses together, I started just like my Melissa nursing page and you can look and has like hardly any posting, but What I, what I, why I did that, I was like, I want to show the real me. This is like who I am and what I do every day. But it's hard for me to actually post on it. I have all these ideas, but it's just like I'm so bombarded with everything else that I don't. But what I'm trying to do is connect it all. Mm -hmm. But I think that's why I, I get comments about the Skin Thesis account because it is just showing the procedures and what we're doing it's not like all that other you know chaos in the background
2: yeah i love things like that frankly just because when i go and i'm fascinated like i did periop for a little while for a plastic surgeon and i always thought maybe this is why i liked it but when i go in to look at you know aesthetics pages or nursing pages or surgeon pages I appreciate so much when they show like the before and after like this is what we're doing or they explain the procedure because it's like all the other stuff like the super hyper edited things like it's not I feel like it's not realistic and so you don't know what you're buying into or like why you would want that it's like it's the real women the real men you know what I mean like people that want to see exactly what it is and I think that's what's so interesting. Yeah. I mean,
0: that's what I'm going to just keep on doing and try to do, you know, who knows if it's right or if it's wrong, but I will say, you know, doing the Instagram is completely necessary. Like you have to, if you're going to be out there and it's not my thing, but I have to make it my thing.
1: You know, it's so amazing. And I think that a lot of people have flocked to your business from this is that you are, I mean and i guess you kind of have to be when you're in a service industry that involves like your look like trainers would probably say this too but you you are beautiful and you, you on the instagram page sometimes you show doing like the different facials on yourself um you're very clearly like you've walked the talk in a sense um but it hasn't been to excess i feel like we all know like the stories of especially Los Angeles practitioners (laughs) that have gone a little bit overboard even on their own look, or they have nothing done. And it's like, wait, how can I relate to that? But you have like a, a, a grace about the way that you've even taken care of yourself that it's like, well, of course I want, I trust and want Melissa to, you know, help my skin and do my face as I age because she has, has done such a, like a beautiful job on herself. Has there been any, like, tension between like doing procedures and everything for people on a daily basis but then also like taking care of yourself and making sure that you're sort of
0: well number one I appreciate that thank you very much but I think that I don't feel the pressure I feel you know again as I mentioned you know because I'm from here and I know that LA look So, I've had situations where people come in and, you know, they have huge lips and want more filler and I actually decline, you know, that I I don't do that. And it's also for a safety reason. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, how I connect to people um, is during my consultation when I first meet them, they know I'm real. They know I'm not not a salesperson at all. If I don't believe in something, I'm not going to do it. And I tell them, too, like, the things that I bring into my clinic, I have tried on myself, and I've tried it multiple times because, frankly, these machines are Ferrari prices. <laughs> and so if I, number one, going to bring it in and ha- do it on someone, it better work because I'm, you know, I'm not cheap, but I'm not ultra expensive, but I'm there. And if someone's going to spend... That kind of money, I want them to walk, you know, be so thrilled that they ended up getting this treatment. So I don't go with the trends, and I'm constantly looking at new things because I want to be that place that brings in the new things and knows what we're doing. We're we're, it's quality. We're not a revolving door. You know, there's some business models in the aesthetic industry that are like that, and I've never had that in my mindset. So. When I come in and say, okay, what are your concerns? I'm going to guide you on what I think we should do. And I clearly tell them, listen, this is the non-surgical world. This is the surgical world. And I've had to tell those patients, you need to get surgery if you want that result. You know, but I first fish, like, are they, can't, do they believe in surgery? You know, where are they going with it? I kind of like hear them out. And I have sent people, many, many clients where they've come in, they've gotten no treatments by me and they go to a plastic surgeon because why am I going to, you know, need to do five, six syringes on them to get them to a happy place and it's not permanent and it's not lasting them that long when I know if they go have surgery and then they need to do some fillers or injectables, they're going to come back to me and that's my specialty Surgery is not my specialty, so you have to know your boundaries. And I want to be a place where I can refer them. You know, I, I don't, I don't get anything from from these doctors, and I don't want anything from them.
2: It's incredibly rare in Los Angeles. I mean, I work with a population that's pretty similar. It's like they want what they want when they want it, and it takes, it takes the right person to be able to say in the right way this is why I can't do it. And for this reason, it's like actually educate them to make a better decision. So, I mean, that's an incredible gift in and of itself.
0: Well, thanks. I and mean, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I have a good friend who is like a consultant in the aesthetic industry and she, she works with plastic surgeons, like these type of places. And mm-hmm. she, she says to me, she says, you know, some of these physicians or practitioners they're in it for either the money or the fame. They, they want to be known in that community. I just want, I'm trying to build a brand and I want them to know that if they're coming to Skin Thesis, whether they're seeing me or my other practitioners, I believe in those practitioners, those practitioners work on me, that they're going to get quality. And if we're not the right place, we're going to tell you what the, what the right place is.
1: I think that just goes to building trust also. I remember the first time I came to you, I think it was right around the time I was having like some serious acne that I, I had never had acne as a young, girl. Um, but right before when I started having thyroid issues, my hormones were Mm -hmm. crazy and suddenly I had acne and I remember coming to you and you were really honest about like, okay, here's what we're going to do. Um, you really helped my skin at that time. And I remember later I asked you, I was like, okay, like, am I ready for Botox? And you told me, you looked at me and you're like, I will, I'm not going to, I won't do it on you. And it was such a refreshing thing to hear because you know, it wasn't what I expected. Part of me was like, well, I should ask her. But like every person that does Botox is going to be like, sure, you know, here's what it charge I charge for it. And here we go. But it really went a long way for me to feel like I could trust you and that you actually had like a clear vision of, of my face at the time. Um, and I, I think that just building trust over the long term, it makes for a longer, more successful business. Right now, I'm working in real estate right now. And you know, working with my mentors, I'm I'm learning so much that it's like the business that you have today is usually a product of conversations that happened six months, a year, five years ago. Um, and it's not always like, oh, this immediate thing that I did today, like giving these injections that won me money today is going to like keep my business afloat. It's having that consistency.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think that if there's any advice I, you know, to give to give to people is that you really have to believe in yourself. You have to believe in what you're doing and you have to do it for the right reasons. I, you know, I opened Skin Thesis five years ago and there was such a driving force for me to open this practice. And, you know, so many people were like, why are you doing this? Your, your husband has a crazy career. You have four children. My youngest at the time was, you know, two going on three. And I said, you're right, you're right. And there was guilt because of that. But at the same time, I was just like pushed and pushed. I was like, no, I got to do this. I can do this. And, you know, there was a very high risk of failure. (laughs) And I had that fear of going, what if I fail? What if it doesn't work out? What if I put this money into it? And it just all just, you know it just doesn't happen. And I kept saying to myself, like, I, "There, there's no room for failure. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to fail. And again, I didn't do it to be like, oh, I'm going to open this place and I'm going to make lots of money and everyone's going to know me. I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, who the hell is going to come to my place? You know? <laughs> I mean, yes, I have, you know, at the time, you know, 12 years of experience and I did have some clientele, but I, I, when I walked away from my other place, I didn't, I, I, I walked away, like, you know, they're either going to find me or not, but I, I, I did it the right way. I didn't burn a bridge. So there, there was, I was taking a big chance and I knew like, wow, I'm going to have to work a lot of hours to make this happen. And it was exhausting. It was, you know, and there were days there was like, why am I doing this? And then I would have those relationships with those patients and I was like, this is why I'm doing it. But I didn't go into it like, I, you know, money, money, money. Like, I, and I still don't think that way. I do it because I want, I, this is what I wanted as a passion. And now five years later, I look back and I was like, I needed to learn. That's why I just, I, you know, I could have stayed, I like, got a steady pace in my life, but I needed to learn more. And, um, and I really did. I, I, I've already learned and I'm sure I have a lot more to learn.
1: I just, I'm curious about like your transition between nursing, working at the children's hospital, and then going into aesthetics. What kind of drove that that transition?
0: You know, I was, um, was pregnant with my first child and I was working at the children's hospital. And again, everything I think that's happened, somewhere there's a little of Brian and everything, you know? <laughs> and uh, Brian, I think, had just started... Working at his firm, and we were running he was running these basketball camps, because you know he used to coach basketball, and I was like very, very pregnant, about to have my baby, and he's in New York doing his training, and I'm running his his basketball <laughs> camp. <laughs> And this one, these two parents came up to me and I, I think by chance there was a couple plastic surgeons that I knew of and some derms that I was helping out. This is when aesthetics wasn't that big. It wasn't popular the way it was. It wasn't like you see these, all these med spas on, you know, every corner. I had, I had some experience, a little bit in derm and plastics, even though I was still working in the ICU. And they came up to me and they said, listen, we're um about to partner with this esthetician and we're going to open this clinic, and we really need someone to start the medical corporation and build it. I was like, okay, <laughs> and I said oh, I got to have this baby first. <laughs> and um, I was start, I was you know applying for my um, nurse practitioner program at UCLA. So there's a lot of different things going on. Brian's in New York, <laughs> and that's how it kind of evolved. And I, I started the medical corporation and build you know, learned just by myself of like what lasers are, what, what combinations can you do? I, I brought in injectables and this is when like, you know, Botox was only even at certain plastic surgery offices. A lot of people didn't do it, it's, you know, 16 years ago, 17 years ago. So that's how it evolved. And I just built this really unique, you know, medical program.
2: So I was going to ask, in all of these transitions in your life, all of them have been fairly big and you've handled them with such grace and you talk about uh, a lot of things happening by chance and a lot about how you just keep going or kept going or had this drive to keep going. Do you have any like specific rituals or routines or mantras that you have, you know, developed or utilized over several years, you know, or during some of these more difficult, challenging times that have helped set the cadence for your success?
0: I wish I could tell you a great story, but no, <laughs> no. Um, and I don't really follow like a strong religion, but more of a spirituality. And i I do believe certain relations happen for a reason in your life, and you're presented with certain things that again, you can go one way or or the other. I believe in karma. <laughs> I believe you know, I've seen just too many things in my life that just that's what makes sense of it. And when I went through a really hard time recently in the past two, two years, actually three years, you know, opening a business, running a business, just so many hours of it. You have four kids, you're trying to just do everything. You're just, you know, you're you're scattered all around and everyone's pulling from you. And then tragedy hit. Um my oldest son, who's now sixteen, who was thirteen at the time, his his best friend died. And we're very we were very close and we still are with the family. And you start questioning, you know, You know, like I, you know, the last time I started questioning that was when I was younger and I was going through the trauma of my father and and my brother, it kind of ignited again in me. And then a year later, um, Brian's partner died in a motorcycle crash. And we just had like all these things like hitting. And then I had a friendship of 40 years in my business that... She just abandoned me and made me out to be a really bad person when I know I'm not, and so it started making me question myself again. Mm -hmm. And all of these things, you know, you know, happened, and I like I had to really go deep, deep down, and um, I see a spiritual therapist. It's a very unconventional. But regular therapy was not helping me. Like, I, I I, know what my issues are. I know a lot of my flaws. I know what I need to do. Like, me talking about them, and, like, I'm able to do that. I'm able to dissect them. But I started questioning about life and death, and not in a depressive way, of just going, mm-hmm. <clears throat> why are we here? What are the connections with other humans? What is our purpose? Why, why do... What impact am I making on these people? And so, when you're trying to make positive impacts, and you know that that gets crushed, you're going, "What is going on?" And at first, I was blaming myself. What did I do? Yeah. What do, What do I need to change about myself? And I did find things that I need to. And I think we all need to be self aware, and a lot of us aren't. And it's really hard. When someone tells you, you know what, you're this way. And you're like, no, I'm not. And you start thinking like, well, maybe I am that way, you know? And But it is really hard for you to hear that about yourself. So I, I think that the biggest thing that I can tell you is that I, I've, I went to a very spiritual place. And um, that's helped me through this kind of evolution in the past few years.
1: Thank you. I think that that vulnerability of being like, no, I don't have like the answer. This is the 10 minute thing that I do to pop myself out of a problem um, is very real and refreshing.
2: And now a quick note from our sponsors. Just a reminder that today's episode is sponsored by none other than Skin Thesis New Golden Cocktail Facial, a state-of-the-art microneedling system designed to effectively deliver only the highest quality and most effective hydrating, anti-aging, and toning ingredients your skin could ask for, all from the comfort of your own home. Created by Skin Thesis founder, Melissa Halusim, this home microneedling kit is everything you need to make you feel as though you're being pampered directly from the source. The kit comes complete with a microneedling device and eight stem cell cocktail serums. That's eight sessions per system. It's incredible. The microneedling device helps manually stimulate collagen, diminish fine lines, improve texture, and provide more effective delivery of Actim Serum ingredients. The Stem Cell Cocktail is a divine, anti-aging, hydrating, toning, plant-based serum containing ginseng, green tea, lotus, and a combination of 19 Korean herbal ingredients which soothe and moisturize the skin while also boosting elasticity, evening out your skin tone and texture, and killing off bacteria known to cause acne. For a limited time, Skin Thesis is offering an incredible deal to our listeners. You cannot find this anywhere else. They are offering 20% off of the Golden Cocktail Facial system. So head over to skinthesisinc.com forward slash GCF to purchase your kit using our exclusive code BRIDGET20 and take home the Golden Cocktail Facial for 20% off. Again, all you need to do is head over to skinthesisinc.com forward slash GCF and enter the code Bridget20. Don't hesitate. Your skin will thank me. And now back to the show. So I could probably talk to you forever. I just think that you're so wonderful like you're such a great storyteller you have such a beautiful way of talking about your life and your experiences and yeah thank it's you. just been so beautiful thank you but unfortunately i know that Asha and i can't keep you for hours and mm-hmm. hours so before we start to wrap things up we've been doing sort of a rapid fire little question q and a like quick questions quick answers mm-hmm. so
1: first how how do you define success right now and how has that changed
0: I think success is actually in yourself you know you have to feel it you have to feel that accomplishment of where you're at and I think I'm getting there you know some people tell me like well look what you've done in five years and all this stuff and I and I've had to lately like look back and go yeah you know what look what have I done I've I built a practice. I have nine employees and they're all happy and they're building clients and I have clients coming in and I built those relationships. So for me, that's the success and looking at at the growth of the company and where we want to be. But I have... So much more that I want to do and, and where, to, where I want it to get to. Are you a night owl or a morning person? I'm a night owl for sure. I hate the mornings. And as a mother, <laughs> I just had to learn to, to live with it. But I'm not happy. I'm not happy in the morning.
1: <laughs> um, if you had an ideal coffee date, you could have coffee with anyone ever, living or dead. Um, who is it? And what would be the biggest question you have for them?
0: God, this is so like unconventional. I think it's like would be with someone who passed away, and they're in another world or another lifetime, and just saying, "What? What is it? What is the meaning of all this?" I think I'm always questioning what is the meaning of what we're doing here, and where do we go from there? So it's actually not one person;
2: it's just kind of that experience of learning. So cool. Um, favorite guilty pleasure. I like cookies. <laughs> <laughs> cookies. I really like <laughs> cookie dough, cookie dough. Chocolate chip, peanut butter. Chocolate chip. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> My husband actually makes them from scratch. I have no idea where he learned this recipe. I'm afraid to ask, but I'll have, we'll have I'll to drop some the off.
1: I'll eat yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, Don't even need to bake it. Like, like- yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's sucks. Right. Yeah, (laughs) I love
1: it. Um, Is there something when you're building a new friendship, a relationship, um, you know, starting with a new client? Do you have a go-to when you're building a relationship? Is it like, oh, send like following up with someone, sending them a note, sending gifts? Like, what do you do when you're truly trying to like build a relationship with someone intentionally?
0: I actually, I think I build a relationship when I'm in the room with them. You know, what's what's interesting about me and, and I, I think my husband, Brian, could actually say this, you know, I'm not a huge person like when we're out and I'm like, I'm not such that extrovert where like he's like, you know, we met them before. I'm like, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I don't remember. You know, like I and um, I socialize and we're at a dinner and I get into discussion. But I think. Like my niche is like when I'm in a room with someone, like I will just connect with them and I just connect with them on a different level. I don't know how it happens. It just, I I hear one thing about them and I pick up on that and I just go with it. And all of a sudden they know who I am and and there it is. And that's the connection. Um, I should be better about follow-up sometimes like, you know, I'll do that with texting or email and they're so thankful that I do that. And I feel like that makes something, you know, a special connection. Um, so I'm working on that to improve, but I think that's, it's that moment, the moment that you are with them with the first time.
1: It's being totally present. Mm -hmm. If you could tell your 13 year old self, anything, um, just like one sentence, um, what would it be?
0: I think it's, you definitely believe, who you, believe in yourself, believe in who you are, and continue to not give up and give that 13-year-old more confidence and tell them it's going to be okay. You know, we, we get into these situations, and I'm totally guilty of this. You get so focused, and you have all this anxiety, and you stress about it, and it just like it consumes you. And you realize once you do get out of that situation that it was going to be okay. And we all have to learn how to like, okay, is this going to really affect you in one week, two weeks, one month? Like, where is this situation really causing a problem? And so and that's where a lot of anxiety comes from. So I, I think it's just really important to be like, you just just keep keep listening to your gut. Keep, you know, believing in yourself. You're going to be okay. I
1: love it. All right. Well, I guess, unfortunately, we'll have to let you go. But thank you so much for your time and your honesty, your openness. Um, this has just been so nice to sit down and learn more about you, and talk and connect, and um, we appreciate you so much.
0: No, well, I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to me. You know, it's <laughs> it's uh, to me, it's you know, my life is not that exciting, but um, I think we all have a story to tell.
2: And that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to, follow, and share Meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time.
1: Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?